Hello and all and welcome back. Sorry I was gone on Monday, but I have very good reason to being gone on Monday. And that is because I was at the United States and Canada game. That's right. That is right. Yes, I know I did not do a show. We got back a little earlier than what I was expecting. We got home a little bit after 10. I was expecting to get home at midnight. So I already mentally blocked out the idea of recording a show. I just went to bed. I didn't get a lot of bed this past week, so I was trying to catch up on sleep to some capacity, even though I didn't really sleep that well, because even though I was tired, I was still amped up. And yes, the game only finished one nothing. Yes, the only excitement really happened after the 20th second of the game. Yes, second of the game. Shaq Moore, beautiful build-up play for the United States. Their first possession of the game, like, I mean, obviously, it was 20 seconds. You really can't be just going back and forth, a high-anticipate, highly what, high-octane offensive game between both teams. No. United States started with the ball, played it back, headed by Zardes, played around a little bit. Acosta took the ball off Gianluca Busio, was trying to take a shot, and if he was, like, a second later, that ball's probably... Now, I would love to think that Gianluca Busio just smashed it top corner past Maxime Cripeau, but... I think the goal that they had was a little bit easier. It was a pretty <laughs> pretty easy goal. Played over to Sebastian Legette. Legette played it on the ground. Shaq Moore coming out the back post. Slots it back home. Passed, passed a flailing Maxine Cropeau. Very nice game. Uh, 1-0 was the final. We predicted 2-1 was the final. If you watched the preview that I did on the United States-Canada game. And yet again, much like the first game, we're not going to talk about the second game in regards to predictions and lineups, stuff like that. But as regards to the lineups... One off again. The lineup that was played yesterday, or yesterday, Sunday, for the United States and Canada was one that I was really happy with. That's their best lineup. That is the United States' best lineup as at this point in time. Now, you can make the argument of Reggie Cannon over Shaq Moore. Reggie Cannon did make an appearance in about the 58th minute or something like that in the game, but will he start the next game? The United States got a full week to prepare for their next game. It's the loser of Costa Rica and Jamaica, and the game just started, so we'll be hopefully providing live updates to the game 0-0 right now between Jamaica and Costa Rica. We're in the third minute. Game literally just started, <laughs> and I'm excited to see how that game turns out. If I was to hope for a team to win this game, so as I just said, the loser of Costa Rica and Jamaica plays the United States, I want Jamaica to win. I would rather play Costa Rica than Jamaica. That's just how I'm looking at it. In the past few Gold Cups, the United States has had a lot more success against Costa Rica than Jamaica. Obviously, we talked about in the first video of the United States getting knocked out by Jamaica in the 2015 Gold Cup semifinals, finishing fourth in the tournament, and they have better players. Yes, you have Brian Ruiz, Joel Campbell still kicking around for some reason, but Leon Bailey, even though he hasn't scored yet this tournament, is still a threat. They have a few players they've gotten over for England, like Andre Gray, uh, Bobby Reed. And then you got Andre Blake, the best goalie in this tournament, arguably. Again, like I said in the first video, you got arguably Matt Turner and Andre Blake are the two best goalies in this tournament. Uh, Tavara uh, for Mexico could be in the argument there if Guillermo Ochoa was here. It would be hard not to say Guillermo Ochoa is the best goalie in this tournament. Kaylor Navas, if he was in there, yeah, he'd be easily the best goalie in this tournament. He is the best goalie in CONCACAF, pretty much bar none. It's pretty self-explanatory. I mean... He's a world-class goalie that's played for Real Madrid and PSG. Now, he's been screwed out of both jobs by bringing in someone younger, like Kaylor Navas getting replaced by Thibaut Courtois, and then getting replaced at PSG by Gianluigi Donnarumma, who's coming off a player of the tournament performance at Euro 2020 as Italy lifted the championship over England, winning on penalties, won back-to-back -back penalty shootouts, Donnarumma making huge saves in both of them. I just feel bad for Kaylor Navas, and I'm excited to see where he goes, and I hope he gets a longer stint as the starter because you know he's going to be rotating with Gianluigi Donnarumma. I don't think they're just going to flat out. Oh, well, they could. If I were Kaylor Navas, I'd want to get out of there as soon as possible. But if you're, you got also that competitive side, they'll go, I want to beat out this kid that I'm 12 years older than or however old he is, old, or how much older he is than him. Because I think Donnarumma's like 21, 22 years old. He's been playing since he was 16. So dude's been around forever. He's probably, uh, he's a lot younger than what people would probably think he is just because of how long He's been playing professionally, and how long his name's been in the media. But yeah, and then PSG are also trying to get over and move their convinced Paul Pogba to come over. Apparently, personal terms on the deal are close to being agreed. It looks like Paul Pogba is not interested in signing an extension with Manchester United because his contract expires at the end of this next season. So yeah, 
He might be out, out of Manchester United. We'll see who they bring in if Paul Pogba were to leave. Eduardo Camavinga's been linked. Sal Niguez has been linked with them for years now. You got Wilfred Ndidi. Declan Rice will still be linked with them as well. Will this open up an opportunity for Donny van de Beek to come in and play full-time? Because he's a very good midfielder. He just needs chances to play, which is something he didn't get at Manchester United because of Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. That just doesn't happen. He's an attacking midfielder, not a very natural number six, as he was playing in that midfield too, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loves to play, that 4-2-3-1. He'd be sitting back to that number six because Bruno Fernandes is not leaving the 10. I would love to see a formation switch. I think a lot of Manchester United fans can agree on this sentiment that a 4-3-3 would be the best thing for Manchester United moving forward. A fluid front three of Rashford, Greenwood, and Sancho would be beautiful to see. And now, Greenwood's not going to start right away. It's going to be Edinson Cavani. Martial will rotate in there as well, but Edinson Cavani is the main number nine to start the season. I would fully expect Mason Greenwood to get some rotations in there. He'll be the number two, number nine, and eventually be the starter at Manchester United in an all-English front three with a midfield three of Bruno Fernandes as that more free eight with Van de Beek kind of dropping back a little bit but still giving the freedom to attack at some points. And then you're going to need to buy a new holding midfielder. I love Scott McTominay. But he's more of that Darren Fletcher type role. They need to find their Michael Carrick, pretty much. Darren Fletcher, a Manchester United, for this era of Manchester United, legend. Played at the club for many, many years. Was the vice captain under Wayne Rooney when Van Hall took over. Like, dude's awesome. Everybody loves Darren Fletcher. Whether you're a Manchester United fan or not, you love and respect Darren Fletcher. That's kind of what Scott McTominay is. Great player, but he's going to be used to come off the bench. And he'll be a very valuable substitute for them. But if Declan Rice comes in, if Eduardo Camavinga comes in, hell, if they can somehow get N'Golo Kante from Chelsea, which we know will not happen, but if it were to happen, it'd be ridiculous. And then a back four. If this is true, this is the best back four in the Premier League. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. On current form, it is the best center back, the best back four in the league. Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, Raphael Varane, and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Apparently, Aaron, uh, Raphael Varane wants a Premier League move, and he is ready to agree personal terms to Manchester United. That is huge. And then probably Dean Henderson in goal. That is a title-winning team right there. And you could probably splurge with the money you get from Paul Pogba is going to be around, what, 80-something probably? You can bring in Kieran Trippier. You'll have more funds to get Kieran Trippier over from Atletico Madrid. Like, hey, a transfer window where you get Jadon Sancho, Rafael Varane, we're just going to do Eduardo Camavinga for the sake of argument, and Kieran Trippier, you have to be challenging for the league. You have to be. There's no excuse for Manchester United not to be challenging for the league. The problem is, no United States players are going to be on this team. And some of these players we're watching, the Gold Cup will not be on Manchester United or any of the big teams. I did hear a rumor, though, that Sergio Dest is going to be linked with a move, or not, he is linked with a move, with Bayern Munich, they were interested in before he chose to sign for Barcelona. Apparently, he has no interest in going somewhere else, even though struggled at times in his first season at Barcelona. And Emerson's coming back. He's been at loan for, at Real Baptiste for a while. He's coming back to the fold. He'll be pushing him. Uh, Sergio, Robert, Sergio Roberto is still there, who very versatile midfielder who can play right back and play in the midfield. We'll see what they do. I don't know what formation Roland Koeman's going to go. I think he'd love... To go to a nice 4-2-3-1, which is what she ran with the Dutch national team. You got a lot of players that play the same position here. Memphis Depay, Lionel Messi, and Antoine Griezmann all play the same position. As at number 10, only one of them can play that position. <laughs> and Messi's the most versatile, so Messi will probably play off the right. Then it's between Depay and Griezmann. And even though Griezmann's numbers have been fine, he hasn't looked great at times at Barcelona, it looks like he's going to be out the door. I've heard a move between swap deal for Juventus between him and Paulo Dybala, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, you're getting a younger version of Antoine Griezmann, but you're still faced with the same problem. He brought in Sergio Aguero this offseason as well to play striker. What formation are we running here? You're going to have to try and fit Pedri in there, Sergio Busquets, Frankie de Jong. Like you got all these players going to try and fit into this team. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how they can afford all these players. It's Barcelona. They're almost, <laughs> I mean, it's Barcelona. So there's one hand, it's Barcelona. They're always broke. Or on the other hand, it's Barcelona. 
La Liga will twist the rules a little bit to allow Barcelona to be a thing. They don't care about the smaller teams, but if you lose Barcelona, that's your money stream. Gone. Lionel Messi is the most, what do you want to call it, is the most attractive player in the world in regards to skill and what people want to watch. Him and Ronaldo are right there. For La Liga without Ronaldo, your next player after Lionel Messi is who? You'd hope it'd be Jao Felix, or you'd want it to be Jao Felix, but he's too inconsistent to be the face of La Liga. Would it be Kareem Benzema? It would be Sergio Ramos, but he just left for PSG. They didn't resign. It would be David Alaba. It would be Kylian Mbappe. If they manage to somehow do that, I don't think that will happen, but that's the logical move for Kylian Mbappe to leave PSG and go to Real Madrid. We'll see. Time will tell on that. As far as the Gold Cup is concerned, I'm very excited to see who the United States play. As a whole in that Canadian... Jeez, I keep doing that. As a whole in the Canada game, they played well. You could tell neither team was well-rested. They had a few days rest. They played last Thursday, and they were expected to play a full normal game on Sunday. It didn't work out. Canada lost both of their strikers, Kyle Lahren, and then... <laughs> oh, this was kind of just... It wasn't... Okay, I would like to stress this. You never want to see injuries happen to people, but Io Akinola <laughs> played one game for the United States... Scored one goal, and it felt like days later, he's saying he wants to go play for Canada, or entertaining the idea of playing for the Canadian national team, and then he gets subbed out after the 24th minute. Now, the United States lost Walker Zimmerman. Now, I don't know how bad these injuries are. I haven't heard the extensive history of these injuries, but I would think they're more precautionary than anything, because both of these teams were moving on to the next round. So... That's how I'm looking at it right now. I don't think Walker Zimmerman's going to be that badly injured. But man, he's missed when you don't have him in there. When you He's not an amazing center back. But that battle for that spot next to John Brooks, because I think every United States fan knows, and if you've at least just followed the United States, you know John Brooks is guaranteed to start in the 2022 World Cup and the World Cup qualifying and all that stuff. His partner, if you play in a back four, or you play in a back five or back three, whatever, You've got to figure out the other center backs. And I don't think Greg Berhalter's got that figured out yet. I think Aaron Long would have used this tournament well, but he tore his Achilles. So what's his future looking like in the national team? I know Berhalter really likes him, but he's too injury prone. Can you trust him to be healthy all the time? I would argue that he is the second best center back the United States have. He's just too injury prone. Is Mark McKenzie going to take that spot? Matt Miazga? Is it going to be Walker Zimmerman? Miles Robinson? Is it going to be one of the people that we kind of forgot about, like Cameron Carter-Vickers or Eric Palmer-Brown? Or maybe Chris Richards gets some decent playing time this, this upcoming season and takes that number two spot. Who knows? Every position for the United States, to some capacity, you know who's starting. You know who's starting in net. You know who's starting at right back. And you can kind of figure out who's going to start at left back. Now you could do the whole Sergio Des plays left back or Anthony Robinson. But you know who's starting at left back. It's between two people. John Brooks is one center back. Tyler Adams is starting midfield. McKinney's starting midfield. Pulisic starting. Reyna's starting. And then Zardes, I think, is still the number one, number nine. And then one of Aronson, or I would, I'm just going to assume Aronson's starting. Aronson has been great for the United States in the last few games he's played. I think he's jumped over Jonas Musa in the pecking order in regards to attacking players the United States will have for this next World Cup. And I would love to see... A 4-3-3 with, with Pulisic dropped back into the midfield with Aronson playing off the left. Aronson has played very well off the left for the United States in the past couple games he's played. I know he's a natural number 10. He would have to play 8. Pulisic's not a natural number 10, but you want to get more involved. He can get some somewhat isolated over on the left wing. To get him more involved, you're going to have to play him as that number 8 and use him as that more attacking option. McKinney can be the box-to-box guy. Pulisic can be a more free roll and go forward a lot more. Take up those central areas. So if you look at like his heat maps, dude goes central anyways. He spends most of the game time in the central areas of the pitch, even though he starts on the left wing. But yeah, other than that second center back next to John Brooks, the United States pretty much has their starting lineup figured out. You would think anyways. There could be some random people that creep their way into the team. Maybe Sebastian Legette puts himself in that first team 11. Maybe someone like Gianluca Busu after a good tournament puts himself there. Daryl DK, Josh Sargent. Those guys can all creep their way in, but right now, we have a general idea. But this lineup that they went out against Canada, loved it. Loved every second of it. We were right on the end where they scored the goal. It was right in front of us. We stood up the entire game. It was freaking awesome. Shaded the entire time. 18,000. It sold out. 
absolutely just full capacity stadium. It was beautiful to see. Eighteen thousand four hundred sixty-seven was the was the attendance at the game. The capacity of the stadium is eighteen thousand four hundred sixty-seven. It was a complete sellout, and it was awesome to see. My first United States soccer game I've ever been to. Both of my friends that I was with. They'd never been to a United States game. They'd never even been to a professional soccer game before. One of them, it was his first ever professional game. So, this was huge. And watching the guys play well, though it was kind of shaky at times, they had one shot on goal, and that was the goal. There was one point they had one shot, one goal, and one foul. Pretty impressive stuff there. But Maxine Cropo played off his line ridiculously. The United States wasted some through balls. Jassy Zardes wanted to run at the defenders. They missed passes a lot. Legette cannot run past people. But yeah, that, it, it was fine. They got the dub. That's all that really matters. It doesn't matter how pretty a W is as long as you get the dub. That's all that matters. The United States just needed to win this game. They got the goal after 20 seconds, which I'm assuming was a lot earlier than what they were expecting. So if you went to go to the bathroom before the game started, you missed the goal. One of my friends who stayed back at home and watched the game, he put a pizza in the oven or something like that and missed the start of the game, missed the goal, and missed you missed the entire game pretty much. Awesome game. Absolutely awesome game to go to. The experience was awesome, even though there wasn't more goals in the game. I said 2-1, to one, ended up being one nothing. So still one goal victory for the United States. Player of the game, I mean, it's hard not to say Shaq Moore. He only played 58 minutes, but got the goal in the game. Gianluca Busio played great again, got a standing ovation. We sat right behind his parents and Shaq Moore's parents. and I think it was just Shaq Moore's family. I didn't see his mom there, but I saw his, definitely his dad there. He was wearing his club jersey that was autographed, and there was another dude next to him wearing a Shaq Moore jersey. I would just assume that's his family. I saw Busio's parents there, and before you call me weird, I've, they posted them on social media. The United States Twitter account has posted them on social media, so I know what they look like. We walked in behind Nicholas Giacchini's family as well. Again, they posted them on social media, so I know what they look like. I'm not weird. I don't stalk all over them and just go, yeah, that's definitely. I'm wearing your son's jersey right now. And then back away. I didn't do that. And I did wear my Busio jersey. I did go to the, the team store, the United States Apparel Outfitter. And I didn't think they'd sell us. They have the official, official jersey. So you know you have authentic jerseys and you have replica jerseys. This was official. It had all the textures in it. It was all stretchy. And then I looked at the price. I wasn't planning on buying it anyways. I thought I saw it there. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I didn't know they actually sold that. $200. That was pretty much what I expected it to be, but <laughs> I ruled myself out of buying that thing pretty quickly. A little bit out of my price range, I would say. <laughs> Just get that out of there. I bought a scarf. I think that was the only obtainable thing I was going to get. I had a jersey on. I didn't really want to change my jersey. My mom, when I got home, said, oh, I thought you'd buy a jersey. Nope. I just bought a scarf. Call me lame or whatever, but it has the Gold Cup logo on it. It says United States on it. So we have another scarf to the collection. You have to get something. This is exactly what we keep talking about with like the Super League thing. Tourists and people that don't go to these games normally buy things all the time. I'm a prime example of that. I just did that this weekend. <laughs> That's exactly what I've been preaching when it comes to the whole Super League thing. But yeah, win's a win. Doesn't matter how you get it. Win's a win. Kellen Acosta played pretty well as well. James Sands played very well. It looked more at times. I mean, you can't really... This is the one of the benefits of going to the game. I know it costs more because you're spending money to drive there, to buy the ticket, to buy merchandise if you go there. We didn't buy any like food or anything, so the lines were super long the entire time. But you don't see they cut out some parts on TV. Like you you the camera naturally just you can't see things. James Sands in the United States, they played more of a a 4-1-3-2. It was like Juventus's formation when they were really good with like Carlos Tevez, Paul Pogba, Andrea Pirlo, uh, Marquisio, uh, Arturo Vidal, like that team where they played in that kind of formation. You didn't really have an attacking midfielder there, but you had one that was in the middle of a three, and like Pogba was on the wing, and then you had Marquisio on the wing, and then Vidal was in the middle with Pirlo as behind them. So that's kind of what that was. Sands was playing in behind them. He was a little farther up than Robinson and Donovan Pines, who played most of the game at center back for Walker Zimmerman, who got hurt in the 15th minute. Opposite end of us, don't really know what happened there. I saw he fell over. I've seen some highlights on Twitter, still really don't know what happened. DK, is he going to be hurt for a long period of time? I don't know. All I know is this is a nice week break. That's good. 
I like the formation. I'm liking the back three that they've been running. Again, like we talked about, the wings are their weakest spot of the team. With Areola hurt, is there really any sense to play any other formation than a 5-3-2? Is there? I would not be shocked if this is the exact same lineup they rolled out there against Jamaica or Costa Rica. I think it'll probably be the exact same team we saw take on Canada. That's what my gut tells me at this point in time. And this is still 0-0, this Jamaica and Costa Rica game. Is there like something going on in this game that I don't know about? Is there a stoppage or is it raining or something? that? What's going on? Feed. Let's just see what the feed says. Is there something going on? When is this game supposed to start? <laughs> it says three, like three minutes played. There's been 61% possession for Jamaica, 38% or 32, whatever, numbers for Jamaica and Costa Rica. But I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the score is going to be either. Well, hopefully by the time the show's over, we'll know what the score is. We'll know the opponent for the United States in the next round of the Gold Cup. But along with the United States and Canada, we had Group A finish. Mexico beat El Salvador, finishing on top of the group with seven points. Not allowed a goal the entire group stage on seven points. Four goals, no, no allowed goals. El Salvador comes in second with six points. Again, the absence of Curacao really affected this group. I think Curacao would have pushed these teams a little bit better. I don't think a Guatemala team on 10 days notice or whatever would have done better than a full-strength Curacao team who was mentally prepared for this tournament. They wouldn't have lost their first two games by five goals. I don't think that would happen and have a goal difference of minus five. I don't think that's how Curacao would have played this tournament. But hey, you take what you can get, and that's what this happened in this group. So Mexico on top, El Salvador second, Trinidad and Tobago with two points in third, and then Guatemala in last with one, tying Trinidad and Tobago one-to-one in the last game. As we said, the United States top, Canada second, and then Haiti unsurprisingly beats Martinique, who allowed 12 goals this tournament. Now, 10 against the United States and Mexico, or Mexico, uh, Canada and the United States, not Mexico. And yeah, Haiti comes out top, 2-1 to one victors over Martinique, and then we got Group C and Group D taking on those groups have already been decided pretty much now Qatar and Honduras they can figure themselves out but yeah Honduras unless Panama goes absolutely insane against Granada who has allowed eight goals and scored zero I don't think (laughs) that Panama is finishing above Qatar in this group has a plus four goal difference Panama's got a minus one now there's three points separating them but Qatar would have to lose by a lot and Panama would have to beat up on Granada. But it looks like it's going to finish out with Honduras and Qatar finishing first and second, which I think is what we said. I said it on Twitter. I changed my predictions when I did the video, but like I said in the last video with Canada, just whenever a prediction makes me look smarter, that's the one you pay attention to. I think you should have learned that by now. Whenever a prediction makes me look smarter, use that one. If I did one later and that makes me look dumber, don't do that one. Use the one that makes me smart. Okay, that's what I like to hear. But the matchups we've got so far, El Salvador will place the winner, face the winner of Group D. So again, between the likes of Honduras and Qatar, again, Panama's five points behind Qatar. So they cannot win the group. The only two teams that can win the group are Honduras and Qatar. Panama still technically still in the running, but I don't think they'll advance. So it looks like it'll be Honduras versus El Salvador. Group C, runners up the Group C will place take on the United States. I'm going to say Jamaica beats Costa Rica. So we're going to have Costa Rica against the United States. Mexico will place the runners up of Group D, so that would be Qatar. And then the winners of Group C, who would be Jamaica, will take on Canada. That's how I'm predicting it now. That's just how I'm seeing it. The United States beating Canada in that last game was huge for CONCACAF. And we were talking about this going down to the game. They always brand it like anybody can win this tournament. Really? You're really going to try and tell people that? I like letting people, like, you're, you're giving a sense of false hope. Like, any team can win this. We talked about the last 15 Gold Cups. The United States and Mexico have won combined 14. Canada is the only one in the last 15 that's won one other than the United States and Mexico. It doesn't happen. If you somehow knock out the United States or Mexico, that is an insane feat. That, as it should be. You should not knock out the United States and Mexico. With how good of players they can produce from these teams, you should not beat the United States and Mexico. So if the United States lost to Canada or drew with Canada, they would be playing down in the same side of the group as Mexico, or the same side of the bracket as Mexico. That's another failure for the Gold Cup. Who need the United States and Mexico to be in the final? That would not have been good for ratings and stuff. 
Not everyone can win this tournament. It is the United States and Mexico every single year. And if something crazy happens, I don't see anybody beat the United States. And I really don't see anybody beat Mexico. I think the only teams that can beat them are those teams at the bottom with Jamaica and Canada. Those are the only two teams I think can beat the United States or Mexico. And one of them will be moving on. The other one will get eliminated. That's how I'm seeing it right now. Neither the United States or Mexico brought a very strong team. Canada brought a very strong team. Minus Alfonso Davies, minus Jonathan David, but Davies got hurt, so his was kind of a forced withdrawal from the team. But Mexico and the United States did not bring a team, a really strong team. Herving Lozano's out of the tournament. He got hurt in that first game. United States brought a C-plus to a B-minus team, trying to prepare for the World Cup, but still good enough to win the Gold Cup. I mean, let's be real here. I know a lot of fans are like, oh, man, or not a lot. There's the loud minority come out every single time there's a big tournament like this to sound off on how bad Greg Berhalter is. Oh, I'm so I'm not watching this tournament. The lack of ambition in this team is ridiculous. What kind of team did you expect? This isn't the Euros. We're not you're not playing good teams. You're playing teams you should beat and this team is good enough to get to the final. You don't need to be the smartest person alive to figure that out. But it's always that minority that just yells for no reason. I could do a better job than Greg Berhalter. You couldn't but it's nice to think that you could. Build, build the ego a little bit. But you, you can go like to any lineup picture the United States posted on Twitter and you will find something. Now, it's just a natural, what is it? Natural occurrence on Twitter, very negative site. There's some funny things on Twitter. I only have it just because I can get sports updates from there. It's a social media platform where I can post my podcasts and stuff like that and videos and all that kind of stuff. But... It's a pretty toxic place, isn't it? It's not a very great place. You don't go there to make a lot of friends. <laughs> you go there to make enemies. That's how a lot of people view Twitter, and everybody in comment sections is exactly like that. You'll very rarely see the, I can't wait for this game. Now, they do happen. Uh, people like, oh, this is such a good team. Yes, we're so excited for this game. But r- more often than not, it's the screw, break, screw Greg Burhalter. This guy sucks. He can't pick a team to save his life. I would have brought Pulisic and Reyna to this tournament and absolutely gassed them before World Cup qualifying and before they played their regular season for Dortmund and Chelsea. That's what I would have done because I'm so much better than Burhalter. See, those people need to shut up. Now, you didn't, you wouldn't have seen players like Busio and James Sands play this well if these players were around. You wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. And I'm really excited for Busio because I think he's second in line, right behind Tyler Adams for that number six role. After this tournament, we knew going into this tournament that he's better than Justin Wheel. We knew that going into this tournament. We said this in the first video, the second video, and the last video, that John J- Busio is better than Jackson Ewell. That was very common knowledge. And now, everybody knows it. So, unless something crazy happens between now and the 2022 World Cup, Busio should have a ticket on that plane. He's about to get a move done with Inezia and over in, over in Italy. Taylor Tessman's already over there, transferring from FC Dallas to Americans. On a newly promoted Serie A side, Busio's dad's from Italy. It just It's going to be awesome. I'm sad to see him leave Sporting Kansas City, but like a lot of good young players in the United States, they've outgrown the United States. They've outgrown the MLS, I should say. You need to move on. You need to test yourself in bigger circumstances. Now, Busio has done well. He's I think he's the second youngest American or MLS player ever, most second youngest professional soccer player ever behind Freddie Adu. There might be someone else in there. I think he's still the second. Again, I could be totally wrong about that. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I know it's surprising, but I have. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. I'm excited to see what the future holds for the rest of this team. They cannot not. They cannot <laughs> miss this World Cup, which is why I guess you host a World Cup. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're going to – you can't get eliminated if you host one. I mean, you can, but – later you're at least in the tournament like Qatar the only reason they're in the gold cup this year is because they host the world cup and aren't good enough to get to other tournaments <laughs> usually but yeah they played well this tournament I'm pretty I'm pleasant I'm I'm nicely surprised by Qatar I saw a thing today I don't know if it was an opinion piece or something that's actually getting talked about combining the Copa America and CONCACAF gold cup no don't do that don't disgrace Copa America by putting it with CONCACAF don't do that just invite the United States and Mexico to co- the Copa America don't combine the two. That's stupid. I know you've got countries like Suriname and Curaçao that are technically in South America, but don't do that. Don't disgrace the Copa America, the oldest international tournament in the world. Don't do that. 
do not, don't, don't disgrace that by combining it with the likes of Honduras and Panama. Don't do that. And Martinique. Just don't. No disrespect to those countries. I know what I just said was really disrespectful, but no disrespect. You're not good enough to play in Copa America. And really, the United States has no purpose to be in that tournament either. They're not in South America. I don't want that to happen. I'm fine with like a host country of a smaller country, a host World Cup nation to go and play in one of these tournaments, but not the United States. I hated that they hosted the Copa America Centenario. I hated that. The 100th year of that tournament, and the United States is hosting it. Now, they played very well in that tournament, but there's no reason the United States should be in Copa America. There's really not. Keep it as it is. I know the Gold Cup's a freaking joke. We talk about it all the time, but man... Don't, don't do that to the Copa America. It's too good of a tournament to be disgraced by adding CONCACAF to it. People don't even know what CONCACAF stands for. Like, the Gold Cup's a joke. It's the United States and Mexico competing for the final. It is designed for the United States and Mexico to compete in the final. They're both in Group A and Group B. They never put them in the same group. Do you find it weird that it's the same top teams in every single group? It's always Mexico, United States, Honduras, and <laughs> Costa Rica. It's always those four teams. Never switched up any time. Is it just weird how that miraculously just worked out like that? Because those are the four best teams. They're supposed to be the four best teams in CONCACAF. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the United States and Mexico's tournament. If they don't win it, giant disappointment. I hope, at times, someone else wins this tournament to give it somewhat. But but then you got the people on Twitter again just talk, bashing the United States. And Burrell just going to be put on a freaking post and lit on fire. That dude's... Never going to be able to step foot in the United States again. But then then again, uh, Bruce Arena's still got a job. Bob Bradley's got a job. They're both in the MLS <laughs> doing pretty well. I do. Most countries don't allow people that are disgraces to the national teams to just keep coaching normally. Bob Bradley's a dickhead. Bruce Arena, just not great. <laughs> How do you miss a World Cup with Trinidad and Tobago? Oh my God. How does that happen? I'm so happy that happened, though. Looking back on it, it's not that had to happen because we would not be where we are now and actually have somewhat hope for the United States moving forward if that loss didn't happen. I don't believe it. I mean, that could be completely wrong. That's just my opinion on it. But moving on, talking about how did you let this happen? How is this possible? We're going to go off in a little segue here. This is talking about baseball. I know we don't talk about a ton of that baseball on here, but I just witnessed one of the worst Cubs games I've ever watched in my entire life. Now, I'm being, what is it, hyperbolic here. I'm not actually serious. In recent memory, this is one of the worst games I've ever watched. I've watched a lot of bad Cubs baseball. I've watched multiple hundred lost seasons. The only thing, the only saving grace, and I tell my friends this all the time that aren't Cubs fans, the only saving grace you had in the Chicago Cubs being bad was the fact that the Houston Astros were always worse. When the Houston Astros in the NL Central, that was the best thing ever. Now, the Astros had their little run in the early 2000s, but me growing up, watching the Astros suck, watching that Cubs-Astros game was always fun because that was the only game you knew the Cubs had a chance in. When the Cubs won, it was a huge party. The lovable losers. And now, we've talked about this a lot. I know we don't, again, we don't talk about baseball a ton on here, but when we do, it's always me ranting about the Cubs because... Grown up watching the Cubs, grew up going to Iowa Cubs games, family in Chicago, been to Cubs games. And then when you win a World Series, I told my grandma this. She's not really that into sports, but she always listens to me rant about my stuff. And I told my grandma, I was like, Grandma, if you told me 10 years ago, or any Cubs fan, let's not just throw this on me. If you told any Cubs fan 10 years ago, they would win a World Series in 2016. Any Cubs fan would take that. Just one. Yeah, there were multiple Cubs fans. I just need to see one World Series. It's, a, it's amazing how fast one World Series can change a fan's perspective on things to how this team could win multiple World Series. And that's how every Cubs fan turned. I am included in this. You thought after watching them win the 2016 World Series against the Indians that they could win multiple World Series. The problem is, as the Dodgers got better, the Cubs stagnated. They did not add anybody. The players they did add were added on bloated contracts that they could not move even if they tried, and those players underperformed mightily. Namely, Jason Hayward. Hayward is not the player that that contract is worth. Not. I like Jason Hayward a lot. Great defender. 
at times can be a very nice bat. But he is so frustrating just on the fact that dude should not be like that. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say Jason Hayward's a terrible baseball player because he's not. He's not a terrible baseball player. I think Jason Hayward's in his own head. And I remember hearing Hank Aaron talk about this. Hank Aaron, no, no, Braves legend, one of the greatest MLB players of all time, said that Hank Aaron, or Hank, see, Hank Aaron said that Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron said Jason Hayward got clocked in the face. Jason Hayward got hit in the face with a baseball. Hit with a pitch. He wears that chin thing now, if you don't notice that on him on the Cubs. He thinks that got him scared. He got in his own head. Similar to John Lester not being able to throw over to first, baseball, I would argue, is the most mental sport in America because there's so much downtime in baseball. I know we talk about how baseball's or not we, people talk about how baseball's boring, there's nothing going on. There's a lot going on in those players' heads. A lot going on in those players' heads. And it's extremely mental. Baez made back-to-back errors yesterday because I think he got in his own head. He's like, oh, I messed up so bad on that last thing, I'm going to force a throw home, which was the only play he could have made. You had the three fastest players in the Cardinals and Yadier Molina running the bases. You had to go home, and he overthrew Contreras. Overthinking it. Because he messed up on the last play, he tried to make a play that wasn't there, bumbled the ball, tried to flip it over to third, didn't work. Because the only play the Cubs can make with those base runners was to go wherever Yadier Molina was going to be. Because Yadier doesn't even run to bases anymore. He just walks everywhere. Those were the only plays the Cubs can make. He got in his head. Wisdom got in his head. He double-clutched. Three errors in the same inning. Back to back to back. <laughs> I've never seen that before. And it happened. Ridiculous. And it made it worse. I was watching with two of my friends who are both Cardinals fans. But the main reason I'm talking about this and why it segued from how could you do this or how could this happen was because when they won that 2016 World Series, you looked at the players, you looked at their ages, and you're like, this team's set up to win. You had three Cy Young candidates in Lester, Hendricks, and Arietta. You had three Cy Young candidates. You had the reigning NL MVP in Chris Bryant. You had one of the best young catchers in baseball in Wilson Contreras, a great middle infield of Aston Russell and Javier Baez. We're not going to talk about what happened to Aston Russell. He's where he needs to be now. And then you had such you just had a great leadoff hitter with Dexter Fowler. And then he went down to St. Louis. And then ever since then, the Cubs have not figured out their leadoff spot. And Dexter Fowler hasn't had great success since leaving Chicago either. It's not like they were one thrived once the other one left. No, it was pretty much a st- <laughs> pretty equal in regards to success levels. I mean, the Cubs still made the playoffs, but were they really any threats to anybody? No, they got swept by the freaking Marlins in the playoffs last year. But how could this happen? You look at all the players you had, and you go, how? How'd that happen? And injuries happen. Players redo or regress, which is what you've seen a little bit. Bad contracts also have made this possible. Trading away young players like Eloy Jimenez and uh, Gliber Torres. Players like that, it hurts. I know you got players for them, but... Going back, would you have really traded Eloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana? No. I don't think there's any Cubs fan that would say they would still do that trade if hindsight, if they knew back then what the future would hold. Watching DJ LeMayhew, and this is that was before the Cubs got good. The Cubs were awful when DJ LeMayhew was first on the Cubs, but that trade still haunts me to this day. It's the worst trade the Cubs have made in a while, trading DJ LeMayhew and a few other players for Ian Stewart. That did not work out. But, man, it's the pain of sports. I, I I got an update today. I'm not surprised by this update at all. I think any Cubs fan out there, realistic Cubs fan out there, knows Chris Bryant's going to get traded. I've said this for the past two years. The Cubs are going to keep Rizzo and Baez. I've said this forever. They're going to trade Bryant. That's what it's always looked like. Ever since his arbitration hearing... Bryant has been linked with a trade. They're going to keep Baez and Rizzo. I don't know if I necessarily believe the $200 million contract thing Baez apparently asked for. I haven't seen a lot of people. I've seen people tweet about it, but I haven't seen like, I, I maybe he did, but Jeff pays on. I haven't seen tweet about it. So I don't, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but they're going to link up those guys. Rizzo can't play anywhere else. Baez has too much potential to go anywhere else. I think that's what Baez is going to keep riding on. Because I've said this before. I said this a few shows ago. Talent-wise, there's not a lot of players better than Javier Baez. 
talent-wise. There's a difference between talent and having it all together. Fernando Tatis is what Javier Baez could be. Fernando Tatis is what Baez was three years ago, two years ago, however long ago that was. That's what Baez was and what is still in there. And that's what makes him appealing to the Chicago Cubs. Now, I've heard him linked with some teams. I don't think he's getting traded. I think he's the face of the Chicago Cubs at this point. And I've said that ever since he was an MVP candidate, really. And even though he was struggling, he's still the face of the Chicago Cubs. I mean, you could argue Rizzo, obviously, because he's been there the longest. And he's the captain. And fans love him. When you think of the Cubs, some people think of Anthony Rizzo. Fair. But man, watching Castellanos leave... Watching Kyle Schwarber leave and both of them be on the All-Star team in the same year while you traded Schwarber's replacement. And while Castellanos, the guy they wouldn't replace for Castellanos is batting just over 200, Hap barely plays because he's batting in the 100s, 180 something. You couldn't move Hayward to center and play Castellanos there and watch him go to the Reds? And then trading you Darvish for nothing? I'm scared of what they're going to trade Bryant for. Again, it's going to happen. They said he's as good as gone, which is what's been common knowledge for the past two years. I'm surprised it's taken this long, to be 100% honest with you. But now the Cubs are bad. They're in that purgatory that no one wants to be in. You're not bad enough to get any good players. You're not good enough to actually challenge. You are good enough to go to the playoffs and lose. That is a terrible place to be. That is worse than being terrible. Going to the playoffs and knowing you're not going to do anything... And knowing there's no way you can improve from that is bad. That is worse than being bad because you at least know there's something on the horizon. At least you hope. Like, look at the Padres. They were terrible for years growing up. But you saw the prospects they were building. They got Manny Machado. And then it started building on something. Now they got an insane starting rotation with great players. But you see that. You see the bad team and go, okay, that's we could be good someday. Purgatory's terrible place to be in. And that's what the Cubs have been in the, for the past two or three years. After watching that Rockies-Cubs game and the Brewers-Cubs game for that play-in game, it was awful a few years ago. It was terrible baseball. That's the, Those two games are why people don't like baseball and call baseball boring. Those two games in particular. <laughs> uh, I watched the 2016 World Series highlights again. Or just the playoff highlights, really. It wasn't just the World Series. I searched the World Series highlights, Game 7 highlights, but the playoff thing popped up again. And you're like, man. I sent this to my friends that are Cubs fan. One's a Cubs fan, one's a Cardinals fan. I said, I'm watching this to remind myself of what once what once was and hopefully eliminate me from this current reality in which I live. Now, it's obviously tongue-in-cheek. I'm not really serious there, but... Man. It's hard to watch. I, I, part of me is like, man, okay, all the fake Cubs fans will be gone. Let me nice. <laughs> it's one positive, I guess, from being not great but not that bad yet. I saw Bleacher Report rated the Cubs as the 16th best farm system, which really surprised me. There's some good players coming up, I guess, for the Chicago Cubs. Miguel Amaya, Ed Howard I'm very excited for. Brylan Marquez is still coming up through the system. I'm excited for what the Cubs got. But I'm sad to see Bryant go. I'm going to be sad when Contreras ultimately gets traded because he's been linked with the trade for the past two years as well. It's sad. The dynasty was over after one World Series, which is not what you want to hear or what you want to think when you're a team that's competing for World Series titles. and getting. Then it comes to the Dodgers just keep spending money. We can't compete with that. They get... Grinky, are getting Mookie bets. Like how how are we supposed to compete with that? Now Grinky's obviously not there anymore, but Walker Bueller's there now. Insane pitcher. We're not gonna talk about the guy that you know did the deed this year. I didn't like him before anyway, so kind of. <laughs> I'm not really surprised this stuff was happening. But man, they just keep spending money. You just can't compete with it. Fair play to the San Francisco Giants. Good Lord. I'm loving seeing what the Giants are doing. I'm loving seeing this career resurgence Buster Posey has. One of my favorite catchers of all time. Just one of my favorite players of all time. Love Buster Posey. Cattell Marte, I've heard, is getting linked there. I think Bryant, I've heard links with the Phillies. 
I think that one just comes down to the fact that his buddy Bryce Harper plays there. Padres, I think, a place they could go. They got a ton of prospects, and you know he could play in the outfield. He's from he played in San Diego for college, so maybe he goes there. But who knows? I'm not really excited. I've shared a lot of links with the White Sox. That's I refuse, refuse. I told my friends last night I refuse to believe the Cubs would actually trade cornerstone franchise pieces that were key in winning a World Series, like Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant. To the White Sox or the Brewers. That, I don't believe happens. Ever. They cannot do that. It's different trading a prospect there. Players that won the World Series. Cornerstone, the three best players of the Cubs in the 2010s. Would all get traded, would get possibly traded to division rivals in the hated White Sox? No. The I, They can go anywhere else other than the freaking Cardinals, White Sox, Brewers, Reds, or Dodgers. Anywhere else, I could care less where you go. Could care less if they go anywhere else. Those five teams you are not allowed to go to. The Cubs cannot deal with those teams. In an ideal world, they ship them off to an AL team. So the Cubs don't need to worry about them dominating the NL. Like Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber are currently doing. But man, I did not... I did, we got 10 days till the MLB trade line closes. We got nine days from when the show comes out. July 30th is when the trade deadline ends. And yeah, it's over. It's sad. You know, you didn't think it was going to last this shortly. What, five years? But it happened. The, the best thing I could say is that it happened. Because we could still be going on to the Cubs, still have the longest drought in sports history of not winning a championship. I'm just happy it happened, okay? I get all depressed and stuff, but you get... This is what sports does to people. Yeah, I know people go like, oh, it's just a game. Yeah, but you, you put so much time and energy into these teams, and they don't even know who you are. We're just nameless faces to these teams. Chris Bryant doesn't know who I am. And he never listened to this show. But I'm glad that stuff happened. Even though it's over now, I'm glad it happened. I'll never forget watching the Cubs in that playoff series. After the Cubs beat the Dodgers, go home. We're at my friend Johnny's house up the street. Come home. Dad comes downstairs to give a big hug. And then you get to the World Series, and you're down 3-1. never forget sitting in my basement, my friend Noah, my friend Dylan, and his then-girlfriend. Cubs just lost. World Series over. Noah and I get in Noah's car. We're driving around Urbandale. Driving around Johnson Urbandale. And he goes, I'll buy you a shake. Because you didn't... You get this far. You're down 3-1. You expect the worst. You expect to lose the World Series. You don't... You just... It hurts. And this is going to sound petty. Or not petty. It's stupid. Because I'm only... What? 19, 20 years old when that happened? 18 years old? Like, my papa's lived... 70-something years. Never saw the Cubs win a World Series until then. We have grandparents that are older than that, 100-something, that never that saw the Cubs win a World Series, but hadn't seen one in a while. They were around from the Cubs' drought, too, that day, <laughs> till the World Series win. I got the shake. Go back to William Penn. Game 7 is about to kick off, and my friends were there, and they go, we're just going to leave you alone. I sat in my room. By myself, my friend Johnny, who we talked about earlier, he let me use his Dish Network password because I didn't know about totally legal streams at that point. So we were watching on Dish Network. And I'll never forget sitting there and getting the update as Rajay Davis smacked a home run to left field and destroyed that camera off for Oldest Chapman. I got the update before it actually happened. And it was like just stream, like not screaming, but like quietly. No, 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 that didn't happen. I thought something happened. Like, maybe it doesn't count or something like that. And then it happened. And then you turn your phone off. That's kind of the problem. You got to stop looking at your phone, but it's hard to because we're so attached to our phones nowadays. It's like, ah, we got, I don't want to sound like a freaking 90-year-old there, but we are. We talked about it with one of my friends yesterday. What do we do without phones? It's ridiculous to think about the time before that. And we lived that, but not for very long. But then the Cubs win the World Series. Rain delay happens. Ben Zobrist hits that double down third baseline. 
Almora with great base running, and then the Cubs win the World Series. I remember calling my friend Spencer, crying, calling my dad, crying, and then going up to my friend's room, and with the W flag, tears rolling down my face. Like, you invest so much emotionally and physically into these teams, and now it's over. I didn't want to get like that. That's just how it is. It's sad and happy at the same time. Because it could have just never happened. It could have just been a blip and never, boom, never happened. I'm glad it did. And it's sad it's over. Hopefully they'll get to one soon. And I don't want to end it there. I don't want to end on a really depressing note now. But I've been working on some stuff. We're going to keep it somewhat short. I don't want to go through the entire thing yet. On August 1st, I hope. So we got, I forget how many days are in July. So Sunday, August 1st. We'll hopefully have a thing posted for you. Maybe by the second, because it'll be on a Monday. We'll have a list posted for you. It's a preseason ranking of every single position in the draft. We have a top 10. Now we have a top 20 for the quarterback position. For all the top 20 quarterbacks in the draft. Because, I like I've said before, I know how to scout quarterbacks. I never said I was the best quarterback of all time, or even close to that, or even that good. But, I know how to scout a position. I've been around the game my entire life. I know how to call plays. I know how to scout things. I know what a good quarterback is. I think I know what a good quarterback is. And I've got a list of 20. Now, these are all the people that could possibly get drafted. I'm not going through, like, all these guys deserve to get drafted. Because there's not. We had 10 quarterbacks drafted this year. And we have 10 more on top of that for this year's draft already. And we haven't even seen a kid play a snap of football this year. And speaking of quarterbacks, this isn't for a draft. I kind of forgot about this, but Bryce Young, good Lord, get the bag, kid. I love it. Almost a millionaire of NIL stuff, which is fair. We've done, Bryce Young is a very marketable dude. Comes from Matter Day High School in California, number one high school recruit compared to Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. Most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever worked with to this point. I will say that until he plays his first snap at Alabama, because I still believe that to be 100% true. You can go back to clips of my show from last, what, last year, yeah, last year in July, last year in June, May, whatever, we talked about Bryce Young for a while, this dude is uber talented, I'm not surprised dude's already making a bag, not surprised at all, hopefully he lives up to it, because he's got the talent to see if he can put it all together and become a really good quarterback at Bama, and be a future number one pick, like he has the potential to be, but right now, he's only a freshman, or is he a true sophomore, a redshirt freshman, I don't remember how that all worked, but, because they had that weird, you know, Extra year of eligibility thing. Redshirt after four games. I don't know if, what happened. I know he suited up for the bowl game. I, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I, I should have been better prepared for this. I apologize. Well, no. He was, a, he was a sophomore last year. He played in that first year, I think, right? Am I just stupid? I don't know. Could be stupid. I don't know. But the quarterbacks we got now, I have a tier list. I'm just going to run through this real quick because I had to figure out some way to put this on here. This isn't... I'm not going to post this. I'm just here to talk about it. But like the top five, we haven't changed the top ten, really. I mean, it's kind of hard to change things. You have opinions changed somewhat, but things are pretty much the same. Like Rattler, Howell, Willis, Slovis, and Redmond, and then Strong, D- JT Daniels, Jaden Daniels, Matt Corral, and you Phil Yurkovic. Now, the only thing I think will really change by the time is Carson Strong rising. Carson Strong has insane potential. Matt Corral, insane potential. I think Matt Corral, if we're talking about pure ceilings, if he can put it all together this year, dude can fly up this draft board. Absolutely fly up this draft board. (laughs) Like, ridiculously. I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet about this today, about how he's been asked about who the next Zach Wilson is. It's Matt Corral. Guess who compared Matt Corral to Zach Wilson? This guy right here. It's an easy comparison to make. He didn't have a... I mean, Matt Corral, statistically, other than the interceptions, had a really nice year, but had those two really bad games. That really caused, like, a black eye and a really nice resume. And it's like, ooh, you, you're when all these nice schools. You got all these nice jobs, but... You murdered two people. <laughs> no, interceptions and murder are not <laughs> uh, comparable at all, but for the sake of this position and for what I'm talking about, yeah, we're going to use that comparison, I guess. But he could, oh, Matt Corral could fly up this board. Good Lord. I had that whole talk with that guy on Twitter who's had Matt Corral in his profile picture, or Matt Corral in his Twitter header. Like, 
he can fly. I told him, this is not locked in. <laughs> this is not a set in stone thing. Matt Corral could definitely rise up this board. But right now, he's number nine. Phil Steele had him at number 10. So you should color me nice here. But the other quarterback, Carson Strong, I think, could rise up here as well. Carson Strong's got, I mean, it's in the name, strong arm. The person I could see falling is Slovis. Because just just because I love I love Keaton Slovis a lot, I think he's a really good quarterback. But compared to Corral and Strong, other than being really accurate, which is a nice trait to have, but that doesn't that doesn't excite the fans. Oh, that dude's insanely accurate. Yeah, but I'd rather watch insane accuracy or dude throw at eighty yards or watch a dude move around the pocket and then sling at sixty on the run. Which one would you rather watch? You'd want to watch the other two. Which is a shame. I think Keenan Slove is great. I think he's underrated mobility-wise. He's very comparable to Joe Burrow, Kirk Cousins. And Burrow's awesome. Uh, one of the greatest season... No, not one of the... The greatest season in college football history in regards to quarterbacks. But I think Slovis could drop down because he doesn't do the, the sexy things, I guess. Like throw it far or run very fast or contort his body to make all the throws. He does, all the, he does everything very well. Good arm. Great accuracy, decently mobile. But yeah, I think he's one that can move down a little bit, which pains me to say. I don't like calling out that stuff. But he was inconsistent at times last year. Arm injuries, what I heard from that. But he's one that could slide down. I think Sla- uh, Rattler and Howell, I think those two are locked right, at, at least at this point in time. They go number one and two in the draft. The rest of them could move around. I don't think anybody outside of the top ten is really going to creep their way in. The only one I could really see is Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA. I really like him. The two LA kids like those quarterbacks a lot. I've talked about Dorian Thompson-Robinson quite a bit on this show ever since he was a freshman at UCLA. He's good. He's very good. He just plays for a very bad team. He puts up fantastic numbers. Go and watch that game against Washington State a few years ago to watch how good this dude is. He can ball. He's just on a bad team. I think Emory Jones has a lot of potential. See how he does in his first chance as a starter. Derek King, uh, I think he has a very good shot to rise. Brock Purdy is going to be up there as well. I don't think Brock Purdy is going to be extremely high draft pick, but he's a very consistent quarterback that can move decently. But yeah, number 11 for him. So yeah, the, the list in order, I guess, is Rattler, Hal, Willis, Slovis, Desmond Red, Ritter, I called him Redman earlier, I kind of combined the two names, uh, Carson Strong, JT Daniels, Jaden Daniels, Matt Corral, Phil Yurkovic, Brock Purdy, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who might flop above Brock Purdy, Emory Jones, Derek King, Tyler Show, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, uh, Michael Penix from Indiana, Malik Cunningham from Louisville, Dylan Gabriel from UCF, Bo Nix from Auburn, and then we threw in a 21 for Tanner Morgan. (laughs) I don't think Tanner Morgan's getting drafted. I think if Tanner Morgan was as good as he was his first year at starting at Minnesota as he was, his last year was very bad, so much so that they just switched their offense completely to a run-first offense. But yeah. And then looking at, I did put a, I'm just going to read you off the, the top prospect from each. So we got Rattler and Slow, Rattler and Howell as the number one quarterbacks. I think they're joint at this point. I have 1A and 1B for Rattler. I think Rattler can do more things. Then Hal, I think Hal's a lot more consistent, and statistically he's a lot better at this point in time than Rattler, but I think the potential in Rattler is greater than that of Sam Hal. Running back, 1A, 1B situation again. Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall. I have Brees at number one, but I think the thing, and I'm not saying this is what I think personally, this is, again, I, I'm giving you my opinions, but I also have to do put my mind in the head of somebody that is running an NFL organization. You have to think about that, which I think it's lost sometimes. You're like, oh, I would do this. This is what I think will happen when it's really just thinks what you would do, not what you think the manager or the coach or the scout will do. Like you see the scouting reports like on starting lineups and stuff. You see what the coach will think versus what the player will think or what I will think. That's what I try to do on those United States previews. I tell you what I think Burhalter will do while also providing my opinion on what I think he should do, which does not matter. In the grand scheme of things. But Brees Hall, the one thing that could hurt him is the amount of carries he gets. Because they could worry about the whole tread on the tires thing. Jonathan Taylor dipped to the second round. Now, is he better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Yes. We knew that going in. But like Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall does not do a lot in the passing game. Whether he's 
there's plays signed up for him or he's actually good at catching the ball, he doesn't do it. He doesn't. If if you call it what he is, what he can't catch, or he doesn't get plays thrown to him, either way, he's not using the passing offense at all. Great running back. Amazing running back. But that carries will hurt him, and I think Isaiah Spiller has that notch on him at this point in time. But that's how I would say it for the running back spot. Wide receivers, toss-up. There's some good wide receivers here. Not as good as last year's. I mean, we're judging this before this season even started. But Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are two really good wide receivers, both for Ohio State conveniently. C.J. Stroud has to try his hardest <laughs> not to have a great season for Ohio State this year. He's coming on his true freshman season, but, man, or not true. Is he a true freshman? Or is there... I can't remember if this is his second year or his true freshman. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I should have had that mentally <laughs> written. I should have had that written down somewhere. But Olave and Wilson are the two best receivers in this class. So I like Traylon Banks, or Traylon Burks. Geez, sorry. Is also up there. Big body wide receiver from Arkansas, John Mechie, Greg Pick. Jeez, I just keep, (laughs) I had my eyes closed there, but they're just like completely blocked off my brain. George Pickens from Georgia, Justin Ross coming off a neck injury. You've got Drake London from USC. The Jalen Tolbert story from South Alabama is going to be fun one to watch. One of the more underrated receivers in this class. Almost to the point now, he might be, (laughs) no, I'm not, I'm joking. I think he's going to be a really good receiver. Nice steal in the draft. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer for tight ends from Texas A&M. I think that's pretty consensus at this point. Uh, Evan Neal, same thing for offensive tackles. Pretty consensus at this point from Alabama. Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, number one center in the class, number one offensive lineman in this class, arguably right behind you know Evan Neal, at least interior. <laughs> so he's he's number one in this class, other than a guy who's ranked number one. Brilliant stuff there, Logan. I think Kenyon Green has to be mentioned up there. Very very athletic is expected to play left tackle this year. He's played guard up until this point at AM. So we'll see what kind of what how people view him as a prospect, whether it's a guard or tackle. This year's Elijah Vera Tucker, pretty much. Then we got D lineman, DeMarvin Leal, the best D lineman in this draft. And then you've also got, you know, Jordan Davis from Georgia. Bigger dude, absolute monster, like six foot six, three hundred forty pounds or something ridiculous like that. Then George Clarfis Clarftis from Purdue is also up there. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's in the next section. Kayvon Thibodeau is the number one edge rusher. I know you could list him as a D lineman or an edge rusher, outside linebacker, whatever. He's the number one player in this class. I think that's pretty consensus. There's some people that will throw like Stingley, throw Kyle Hamilton, throw Rattler. I think it's Kayvon Thibodeau. Until until something happens, I'm still going to put Thibodeau as number one. Linebackers, Christian Harris from Alabama is the consensus number one at this point. Cornerbacks, Derek Stingley, he's been the number one quarterback in this class for the past two years. Hasn't changed now. Number one safety is Kyle Hamilton. Okay, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. My top five players in this draft, in no real order, this is subject to change because this is a very rough draft. We got 10 days to get this stuff figured out. But somewhat of an order, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal, and Spencer Rattler. In somewhat, that order, whatever order you really want it to be, Whatever. That's what we've got for the top five players of the entire draft while also mentioning the number one player at each position in the draft as well. Some It's subject to change. It's not going to stay the same up until the NFL draft. That's one thing I like to credit myself on. My opinions change with time. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I don't think Josh Allen sucks if I thought he sucked in the draft. Wow. Isn't that ridiculous? Can you believe that? Wow, someone actually changes their opinions and doesn't get all butthurt when their opinion's wrong? I get stuff wrong all the time. Do I mention all the time? No. <laughs> Did I think Josh Allen would be bad? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was nervous, but I was excited to see what he could be. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I know that middle part was kind of depressing for at least Cubs fan, at least for myself. If you skip through that part, don't really blame you. I apologize for it, for me ranting and being a sad boy. Sad boy hours to queue up some juice world RIP. But man, it's over. Cubs dynasty lasted for one season. <laughs> they got beat up by the Mets the season before. They got beat up by the Dodgers every year after. Then the Marlins, and then now it's yeah, it's over. I'm wondering where Chris Bryant will bo- will go. My gut says Phillies just because of the Bryce Harper thing, and he's been linked there before. Alec Baum, the third baseman, might be on the way to Chicago. I don't know. Time will tell on where Bryant goes. Again, don't think Baez and Rizzo will be traded, but I'm not Jed Hoyer. I don't make the decisions. He does. So time will tell on that. Hope they get a good return for whoever they trade. Sad to see you guys go, but thank you for what you did for the Chicago Cubs 
and getting them that first World Series title in 100 years, 108 years. Thank you. It's coming from every Cubs fan, not just me. And even if you're not a Cubs fan, you have to appreciate what they did as well. At least I think you do. You don't have to. I guess you're entitled to your opinions. But that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get excited for the United States next matchup. You guys will know what happened between Costa Rica and Jamaica. I do not know at this point in time, but you guys will know. I will also know by the time the show goes out. So I hope you have a good day. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you all later. Peace.